0: This is the wine world where Hein Johansen and Mochtenbord booked interview
1: top of the pops wine people from all over the world.
0: Welcome so much to Simona Adams with us here in. The wine world today.
1: Thanks for being here and for the invitation.
0: You've uh, traveled all the way from Rheinhessen, where you make wine. Would you tell us a bit about what wine you make and uh, how it is in, in Rheinhessen? Yeah,
1: so that's correct. I'm from Rheinhessen, from the very northern part in that region, from Ingelheim. And we're near Mainz or Frankfurt, so it's um, actually right in the middle of Germany. And uh, we're very f- Famous, let's say, or focused on the Burgunda varieties, on the Pinots. So that's um, historically um, founded because Charlemagne brought them from Burgundy in, uh, yeah, around 1,200 years ago to Ingelheim, especially there, uh, because we have soils that are really good and very much alike to those in Burgundy, like clay, soil, limestone. And uh, probably he, he found a good spot there outside the original region to produce um, those kinds of wines. And that's a real treasure we have. And uh, so the young winemakers in town want to get back the reputation
0: that got lost over the world wars, especially. Most people, they when they think of Uh, Germany, they think about Riesling, but you don't make any Riesling at all.
1: Exactly. Like, it would grow, of course. Like, we have good soils, but um, we are just in front of the Rheingau, and now is just around the corner with Diehl and Dunhoff and all the, the big names. So why should we produce Riesling if they are much better in that, and we have soils really very well adapted for the Pinot varieties. So I prefer focusing on, on things and not doing everything. So especially my focus is really just producing the Pinots. And so on the 10 hectares we, we work on, we have the half of it only Spätburgunder, and the, the other half is divided in uh, Weißburgunder, Grauburgunder and Chardonnay.
0: Is there a sort of a distinguishable style for the Pinot of Renhasen or for your Pinot of Ingelheim if people are used to drinking Burgundian Pinots, for instance?
1: Um, it's a bit divided, we have to admit that, uh, because there are many wineries in town. We have 30 wineries that bottle their wine and to sell it to clients. Most of them sell to private clients at their winery. So those wineries don't look abroad, they don't look to Burgundy, they just bottle a wine, a nice wine that you can drink very easily, but without focusing on a certain level of quality, let's say. And there are a few young winemakers that uh, look abroad, that did internships abroad, especially in France, and um, so they want to to produce other levels of qualities. And uh, so that's also my part, actually. And um, so we really. Of course, look to Burgundy, but we don't want to copy the region. So we have good soils, also for producing Pinot Noirs or Spätburgunder of long shelf life that have a nice acidity in the back and are not really big in their body. Like we could do that. In, that would be very easy in, um, because we, we just had to wait for a later harvest date. But we want to really use our longitude to, to stay on that cool climate style. So that's really good for us because years are getting warmer and warmer. So it's our chance to produce really cool and freshly defined Pinot Noirs that are characterized by a, a lighter fruit and not a jammy character.
0: And then production-wise, uh, do you use a lot of oak in your wines or do you use barriques or larger vats? Or?
1: Um, that depends on the quality level. Like All the reds in, in my cellar are vinified in, in wood. That sounds uh, like a strong impact, but actually it's not. So we started at, at zero. When I took over the winery in 2010, we had two barriques. <laughs> and then step by step, year over year, we bought new ones. So we can do a, a assemblage of um, new wood and old wood. So for the entry level Spätburgunder, we have only the traditional barrels that are 1,200 liters. And rising up in, in quality levels, we go to barriques. 228. Though, so the real Burgundian um, brick, and we in the intermediate level we have only used wood, and in the top level we use around 20-25% of new wood, never more, because we really want to focus on the fruit, on the on the character of Spätburgunder, and not influence too much by wood that we just buy. So I prefer working with nature to extract nice tannins or take also stems into fermentation, but not influencing too much by artificial or outside influencing um, things.
0: Yeah, I think that... Uh bit of the historical challenge of German Pinots are that there has been a lot of wood in it, so you would have that very oaky character to quite a light wine grape for the Spätbegunder. I tasted your wines, and I think that your wines are on the elegant side and exactly the opposite of that, which is very nice. Also, I'm thinking a bit about there has been this tradition to import quite a bit of Burgundian clones to Germany. Your your wines, are they on the Burgundian side or do you use uh, German clones?
1: That's a very good discussion, actually. So many, many young winemakers look very much to Burgundy. They travel there a lot, taste the wines there and really take it as an idol. And of course, the wines are magnificent and the, one of the best that we have in the world, I think. But still, I think it, it's our chance to to keep our individuality and to work on our authentic characters. So my way is not to plant a French Selection Marseille or French clones, because I don't want to copy something. Maybe it's the harder way to, to get to a certain success because the wines are made from uh, German clones. But I think it's it's our... Our goal to, to have something own. We have the soils that are really fantastic for Spätburgunder, so I think we should use a regional clone material to, to show what is possible in our region and not be a nice copy of something that is really good. So um, I think copying something is never a good idea for a long-term success. Also if it's uh, easy to, to to wanting to copy something, because it's so good, but we have to break down ourselves and say what do we want who who are we where do we come from and where do we grow our vines so my way of of uh, doing is um planting our stuff to to have something really own and talking about our wines the same with the with the barrels you could visit um if you could enter some, some really famous wineries in Burgundy and see, ah, they use François Ferre So I will buy those um, barrels too. So, but um, I, I would not do that. So I have French oak, but um, I have different stuff. Also from Burgundy and uh, because the wood from France is so elegant and fine pouring structured that it has a direct impact of the elegance of the wine. So I could not use American oak, for example. So I'm a bit forced to use this one to have a certain style of wine. But always using the regional clone material
0: we've talked a little bit about uh, about Pinot Noir, and obviously, in the modern day time, then the great tradition of making Pinot is coming from burgundy but. There is also a long tradition for making the Pinot in Germany as well, because as you said, it, it has been planted for a thousand years. But but how do you see that play or or that connection between Burgundy and German winemaking in Pinot when it comes to style?
1: I think in general French winemakers are more fond of what they do. They have a huge tradition like in Burgundy, they, they produce high-level Pinot Noirs over two, three hundred years, and they know what they do. They they are not insecure in what they're doing, and um, that is what what Germans still have to learn to be to believe in what they do and to be fond of what they're doing and listening to nature and to soils and the responding <coughs> characters in grape quality, and uh, that's sometimes a problem because we don't have that long heritage in general, for producing such high-level quality wines. Like We produced for a very long time wines, but not at such a good quality level. So um, we have to learn to be fond of what we're doing and not copying something else. And so Germans tend to use more techniques and to influence more by their human skills instead of just loosening and, and just listening to nature and taking the quality nature is giving to us. So we have to learn that to... That Less is more. So as you said before, Germans tended to, in the last 30 years, to use more barrique, more wooden influence, because they thought, yeah, wooden wine is something of high quality. And with that, they covered actually the... Original quality and the typicity of Spätburgunder, and um, then they were afraid of acidity, of ripeness. They they harvested most times overripe, so the wines got jammy. And now we step by step, especially in the last ten years, the younger ones um, understand that we have to to harvest at a certain date, not too ripe, but tannic ripeness uh, must be given, and to to use less wood, so we get more courage to do something own but we still have to learn it to be fond of it and not being a bad copy of something but to have something own and Ingelheim especially our town it's really such a nice story was worldwide known around 1904 from New York to Paris and Shanghai for the dry Spätbrunner wines and it was even on the menu list of the Titanic Ingelheim Spätbrunner so I'm really repeating that so many times so people remember that that Especially in our town, we have such a um, good tradition that unfortunately over the world wars um, got lost. And then there was a sweet wave and winemakers bottled sweet Spätbrunner or at least half dry. So we have to get rid of all that and just focus on dry Spätbrunner at a a really world-class quality. And the soils are there. The, that was shown over a century ago. We didn't have technique at that time, but the soils and handcraft. So that is really what we have to focus on.
0: And then I think that the market position has been important as well in what style of wine you make. I recognise this from Norway as well. That that the general public they tend to like wines that are very full-bodied, quite heavy in style, and dark in color as well. I think that uh, when when you got Dornfelder, it was merely made to have very dark, very sort of powerful wines that were able to mature in the in the German environment. And I, I, I think that some of the Spätburgunder producers are still thinking in that kind of way, that they want to make these really powerful wines so that they can... Uh, give something to that market but on the other side then there has been happening some some climatical changes as well i guess that that makes it easier to make these more elegant and have full maturement of pinot noir grapes as well
1: yeah but um the color thing is really a, a good point to talk about because actually we have to talk about white wine red wine and there's a third category pinot noir so it's not a usual red wine it's a it's a class for itself and people sometimes mix it up, especially German winemakers that are not focusing at a high quality level. So I was once in a, um, in a testing st- um, group for the qualitätswein I could join them to, to test the wines. It was so interesting to see. We tested Spätburgunder from the region and people said, "Ah, oh, that's really a nice red wine. But the color was dark and it was untypical for Spätburgunder. But they say it's a nice red wine. But we're not talking about nice red wine. We have to talk about Spätburgunder. So I did at home the, the, the experiment to add half percent, one percent, two percent, three percent, and so on from Dornfelder just to see what it makes out of a Spätburgunder that is actually really good. And before you change color, the nose, the, the flower, the fruit is completely changed. So it's, it's not Spätburgunder anymore, it's just a red wine. And that's too easy would be too easy to produce such wines and just call it Spätburgunder because law is giving you the permission to do it like that so we we have to believe in that a lighter color is good and that's nature for Spätburgunder so yeah we have to to be more encouraged to produce real Spätburgunder and to communicate real quality for that.
0: Especially 2017 and 2018 was very hot years in, in Germany. And I know that several Riesling producers have been struggling to make vibrant fruit and, and uh, to make their best wines in those years. How has that been for Spätburgunder?
1: More or less the same. I mean, Spätburgunder is ripening earlier than Riesling. So you can imagine the rush we had during the harvest time. In August, it used to be the right time just to go for a short holiday Uh, for winemakers. So I remember that also friends of mine just were in holidays end of August, but actually we had to start at the early parcels to harvest in end of August and um, in the first week of September we had all the the single vineyard uh, quality levels from Spätburgle in the cellar already and um, so we had to be very quick uh, not to lose elegance and not to end up in high alcohol and jammy character so the challenge, I think, for those hot years uh, will be to be very quick and uh, still in the cellar, in the, in the transition progress or process, to work there very carefully and not like usual, because um, grapes that are uh, characterized by a hot summer and the sun was shining, temperatures were high, have to be treated differently to grapes that were harvested in a cooler year. So we have to be very quick in the harvest, in the field, but relatively slow in the cellar at the same time. So that's the real challenge to have enough people to be able to, to work like that. And that's the real um, question we have to, to do and to be, to be behind and not forget that we have to be quick because at a certain point during the ripeness phase, the sugar levels go high very quickly and not in linear style. Um, so we really have to be very, um, in, in very close contact to the parcels, to the field, to the grapes, and harvest at the right date. So for us, in, in my winery, we uh, for several years, we test the berries and um, bite on the seeds in order to decide when to harvest and not looking at all anymore at the sugar levels. So we end up in harvesting a little bit earlier and not getting higher than twelve and a half or thirteen percent of alcohol, which is really good for us. And the the, southern, the more southern regions have um, the same issue, just even earlier than our place. So that's still the chance, I think, of, of Rheinhessen, and especially Ingelheim, to produce really high-quality spitbonus in future.
0: And do you, you get a shorter maturement peri- period, or, or does it just start to ripen earlier?
1: That's very versatile, and there's no rule to tell anymore. The problem is that in early years, that means when March is a warm month, we have a very early growth, vegetative growth, the start of the vegetative growth. And having that, that means that we will have probably a very early harvest. But at the same time, the problem of that is that we may have frosts in May, in the beginning of May. And this (coughs) combined with an early starting of the vegetative period ends up in more risk from nature. So it's um, (coughs) having warm months in March that mostly leads to um, not easy years. And sometimes it's still really cold in March and things are going on normally and we start in April with the growth. And then it depends on the summer temperature, how this is developing, if it's really warm, if we have lots of rainfall or less. So things are getting more extreme and there's snow rule to, to hang on anymore we have to see every year at new facts and have to decide newly what to do in the field especially on the soil that is really uh, something new we have to learn
0: to finish up a bit I taste, yesterday I tasted your Chardonnay as well and was really impressed would you tell us a little bit about uh, your Chardonnay making as well
1: my father already planted the Chardonnay I guess because he saw that it's a consequence when we have good soils for Spätburgunder Uh, We should try also a Chardonnay because the tradition for Chardonnay is not as big as for Spätburgunder in our town. So the vines are now 25 years old and are on a very nice clay terroir in a a bit cooler spot than most Spätburgunders. So the aim of us is um, to leave more leaves on the vine to keep the shade on the grapes, to keep the elegance and the acidity in the back of the wine, to have something very straight, very precise and... um, and, and more slim than fat, so we we can harvest relatively relaxed at a certain date when it's correct of the aromatic ripeness, and then we press um, whole clusters, go directly in French oak bricks, and just um, leave the wine there for twelve months without touching it. So we do we do not do batonnage, not to get the wine too fat. We just leave it there and let it go with the time to stabilize, to to get a certain structure and. After the assemblage of the bearers, five months later, we bottle it. So it's all about time, I think, to get an elegant Chardonnay that, that is vibrant and precise.
0: You make it sound so easy. Thank you for coming, uh, Simon Adams of Adams Wine in Renhassen.